This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. On this video, we have got Springbok legend and former flank Ian MacDonald as our guest. Ian, a warm welcome to Front Row Rugby. Thank you very much. A privilege to be with you guys. So Ian, let's start even before your Springbok career, right? Because I know you're an Afrikaans guy, but with a name like Ian MacDonald, there must be some story there. Yeah, it's a, I actually read up on my, my grandfather. He came over, he, he got on a ship at the age of 16 in Scotland. And he toured the world. He stayed in, in Canada for a while. And he then came to South Africa, met an Afrikaans-speaking woman, and married her. They stayed in Oudsoren. And my dad, a brother, and a sister was born out of that wedding. And uh, he passed away at the age of 53 in operation. And, but he toured the whole world and he's actually got memos and everything that he's got about all his uh, trips and things on the ship. So it was quite interesting. And we've got his birth certificate, everything. The whole family comes from the Isle of Skye in, in Scotland. So I wish I could go there one day. That's one, that's in the plans to go there someday. Um, yeah, but, um, it's actually, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, uh, somebody like that is in my family tree. And, um, yeah, so he came to, uh, to South Africa, married Afrikaans woman, passed away, and my grandmother brought my dad and, and uh, his sister and brother up uh, in Afrikaans home. And that's how I became McDonald as Afrikaans speaking. Oh, that's a great story. Uh, so, Ian, let's go now to 1992. South Africa are back in international rugby. First test matches against the All Blacks. Uh, were you expecting to be part of that squad? To be honest, I, I've never seen myself as a great rugby player. What I am, am good at is if I decide on something, I do it. And um, so mentally, I've always been very strong. And even thinking back, you know, um, how I got into rugby was actually a story by its own. Umfari uh, Fermasais, uh, who was a Springbok legend, and uh, I knew every single uh, uh, player on that night. Uh, what was it, 81 tour with Ray Moore, Harry Fermasais, Carl Duplessis, all those players. And um, when he phoned me and asked me to come and join the Hutsat uh, Teachers Training College, uh, you know, that was like somebody out of heaven phoning <laughs> because I had this enormous respect for every Springbok. And um, um, I joined them there. Um, his brother-in-law actually saw me play on a, a rugby week in La Serie. And Mungheri always canvassed these rugby players at Cramer Week, but one of the guys dropped him and he was looking for a replacement. And his brother-in-law at a price said, well, why don't you try this youngster? I saw him in this week and very aggressive man. And maybe he can do the job. And I joined there. And I, to be honest, that first two weeks, I said to my mom, those days we didn't have cell phones. I said, mom, I don't know if this is going to work. I think I better come back and, and go to the army. And she said, just stay one, another week. And in that week, we started training. And I saw, but these guys are nothing. And I started getting like a mental plan together where I, I just trained harder than anybody else. And even in, uh, in throughout my career with the Springboks and Alliance, I always uh, made a point of training harder than anybody else. And that made me physically and mentally stronger than the other guys. And uh, 
uh, you, to to answer your question, I was actually surprised when when I uh, I was surprised when I got into the lion side. I was surprised when I got into the springbok side because I never saw myself as good enough, and um, I've got very high standards for myself. I come from a home where uh, it wasn't easy. Um, I always say to the guys, at one stage I I fought more with other people than than I eat and. Uh, it was a, a very difficult time in my life, but looking back now, I can now see God's plan, how it worked out for me. And, um, yeah, and if I may, I, the first time I played for the, the then Hosa Teachers Training College in the first team, I was actually lying on a, a, a high jump mattress watching the first team play. And it was a very cold night, and... Um, uh, one of the players in the first team got hurt, and the coach from Taysahabs came looking for somebody to put on the field, and he couldn't find anybody. And he saw this boy lying on a high jump mattress with his boots on. He said, "What position do you play?" And he put me on the field, and he said, "Don't touch the ball and stay out of the way." And I, <laughs> I got the ball from the first line out on on the try line, and I went over and I scored a try, and it was a kickoff. And they had a guy in this in the team by the name of Herman van Jerden, and his nickname was Slachter van Jerden. And at that stage, he was um, he was passing the hell out of every player on that field, and Hasat um, was actually losing that game. And I got on, and uh, with my upbringing, I mean, I, I fighting was fine. <laughs> I didn't mind that, and I punched this guy out at the line out, and it was like a Dead silence on the field, and the ref stopped the game. And I just said, "Sorry, sorry, sorry." And I gave my my jersey to one of the players, and I didn't want to go into the first team change room because, I mean, I was still a young young guy. I think I was seventeen years old at that time. And um, I left, and and the coach came running after me, and he said, "Monday you had training." And so, yeah, it was a. It was a, a lot of things, and pe some people will call it luck. I, I call it destiny. It was planned for me. And, uh, yeah, and again, I, I don't see myself as um, a very talented sportsman, but mentally I'm strong. You were in that team for the 27-24 defeat to the All Blacks. How significant was it for you to actually be playing in that match? Yeah, thinking back, yeah, I, the one thing that stands out for me is getting on that bus and driving from Midrand to Alice Park and and the crowds next to the because at that stage the South African supporters were so hungry. And still till this day it, it's like a dream to me. It, it it doesn't feel real. And I think most of the guys on that bus didn't feel like they were gonna play their first spring mock test. And we had Danny Gerber, Uli Schmidt, Nas Burta. And I think Andre Yupe in that team that played Springbok rugby before. So we didn't have anybody to sort of blood us into this thing. We didn't know what to expect. Um, you're on the bus and next thing you know, you're standing on the field and you're holding your Springbok uh, uh, emblem and, and you're singing uh, uh, the national anthem. And, and it's a blur. I, I wish I had. Uh, 14 experienced guys around me to take me just through that pr process. So I think in a in a big way, it was unfair to all those players that played that first test because we never had a chance. 
And the fact that we actually got close is a miracle by itself. And then the following week, uh, there was a test against Australia at Newlands. It was very, very wet that day. And the Wallabies, I mean, they were the world champions at the time. They handed out uh, a hiding uh, to the box. What do you think was the problem that day for South Africa? I think coaches, players, everybody, we we were trying our luck. Nobody knew what to do. We, I mean, I don't. And not to knock uh, the guys that it was coaching us at that stage, but we had no clue what we were in for. And South Africa learned. We learned very quickly because in '95 we won the World Cup. And um, yeah, it was just somebody, a great thinker and a great rugby mind like Kitch Christie that we needed and to guide us through what was needed to, to actually be the All Blacks, be the Wallabies. We never play these guys. And I remember we played a game once in Brisbane against the Queensland Reds. And uh, before we knew, we were down two tries and we got behind the post. And the RP Miller actually said, because they had a defensive system, so the rugby league, they had that uh, background. We knew nothing about it. And he said, guys, let's count them. How many guys are on the field here? Because we had no answers to that sort of thing. And if we were exposed to that, yes, we were talented rugby players. We never got to a, a gym. Most of the guys, I think when we did those tests on the bench press and a squat, nobody could even do that. I, I uh, met a guy by the name of uh, Tom Petrano, who was a uh, world champion javelin thrower. And he taught me a little bit about gym. And I think I got an advantage above the other guys because Tom taught me quite a bit of things in that gym. He, at that stage, he was training in the gym at a teacher's training college. Met him one afternoon, started uh, speaking to him English, which I couldn't do well at that stage. <laughs> and uh, he taught me, and he was a hell of a guy. And uh, I'm very thankful for that uh, until this day. And uh, I had definitely had an advantage above most of the guys. I remember when the, they first started with this uh, uh, steroid test. Every single game they wanted to test me. But it was just that Tom knew what had to be done to be a professional athlete. Ian, did you go on the 1992 tour to France and England? I did, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I know that you didn't play any of the test matches, uh, but then you were back in the side uh, in 1993 under Ian McIntosh uh, for the France series, uh, also going to Australia. You mentioned the coaches in 1992. What sort of differences did you observe between, say, John Williams and uh, Ian McIntosh? Uh, John Williams was... Uh, um a very disciplined coach. Uh, to him, discipline was everything. And that that was basically our philosophy until we get it uh, got exposed to the international uh, stage. And um, Ian McIntosh had a vision. Um, and I still till this day I think he was um, he was a, a guy that was far ahead of his times. And if, if you had to put Ian McIntosh and Kitch Christie together and make them coach a sign, I think that would have been world champions for a long, long time because they had a vision of what had to be done. And a lot of what they were trying to uh, um, to bring to us or teach us at that stage, I now see in the rugby. And so I think they were at least 10 years ahead of the time. Kitch Christie um, brought uh, a personal side 
to to rugby, which we never had. There, there was always a mountain between a coach and a, and a player. You were a player and you had to know your place. And that's what we had when we first started. And Kitsch Kirsty became a dad to the whole side, which made you want to play for him. Um, something that we didn't know. And another person that was really good in this aspect was Harry Fulhu. He uh, he also exposed us to that sort of thinking and that sort of training and, and uh, made us believe that we can do a lot more than what we were doing at that stage. So I want to talk a little bit about that 1993 tour to Australia now. Uh, you were in the team again for the third test. Uh, we, we were beaten 19-12. Uh, by the Aussies in Sydney, but it was actually quite a good series. South Africa won the first test, Australia the second, and then obviously the third was the decider. Um, I'm interested to know from you, in the dressing room after that third test, what was the feeling like among the players? Was it one of a lot of disappointment or large disappointment, or was it maybe a case of, you know what, we went toe-to-toe with the world champions, who the Wallabies were at the time, and we actually did quite well here? Uh, a Springbok dressing room doesn't work like that. I knew last weekend um, the Springboks would come back. South Africa, if you put us back to the wall, that's when we are dangerous. Uh, we don't think like that. It's, it's not getting close. I, you know, my wife was an athlete, and they always uh, had this thing, yes, but I, I got in fifth. But uh, fifth place, but I, I ran a good time. And to me, I could never understand it. It's about winning. And that's the way South Africans are. We want to win. And getting back into that change room, it's a deadly silence because you know you got so close. There was opportunities. You just didn't take it. And uh, that's the things that keep you awake after a game like that. And, and I think everybody is like that. You think about the things you didn't do, not the ones you did. And that's the things that haunt you. Ian, after that tour to Australia, the boys went to Argentina. I know you didn't play any tests against the Pumas, um, but I was just looking through the records and I couldn't quite confirm. So I just wanted to check with you. Did you go to Argentina? I, I was selected to go there, but I actually broke my hand in the last game before the tour. And I had to get an operation. So... I never got to go to Argentina. So that was the end of, of that story. So let's go to 1994 then. Um, South Africa playing England in a two-test match series. The first test at Loftus ended in a heavy defeat and they brought you back in uh, for the second test uh, at Newlands. Um, I know that you didn't play in that first test match, but obviously given that the boys had suffered quite a heavy defeat, uh, how determined were the players in that second week to make up for uh, the previous results? I think... If you ask any Springbok player, the one team, that, or not the one, I think the five teams that you feel fairly confident that you can beat is the European side. Because for some reason, they are scared of us. And when you're on the field, you feel it. When you're in that battle situation, you feel it. And when they beat us, specifically with a big score like that, yeah, we feel it's painful you don't want that because it's it's like the neighbor's boy that's always beating you up and you, now you grow up and you know you can take him, but then <laughs> you don't. And, um, yeah, we always felt that we could beat them. And uh, going into that to that uh, second test, 
that was always the talk in during the week that these guys are nothing. We can take them. They're scared of us. And um, we did. We just went in. And I think it's a lot similar to what happened last week with Australia. The guys just went up with an attitude that you're not, you're not good enough. You don't belong on the same field. And you'd start bumping guys like Nick White around. And, and the next thing you know, they're scared of you. And they stopped playing. Now, after that, it was off to New Zealand, and then Ian McIntosh was sacked, and Kitch Christie was brought in as the new Springbok coach. But you were pretty much out of the picture up until 1995. Uh, you played against Western Samoa in that test match just before the World Cup. Given that you were part of that squad, how much were you really hoping or even expecting to be part of the World Cup squad? I think I got very close. Um, yeah, I... Uh... There's a few stories to be told. The, the first thing I want to tell you is that um, I was called into a hotel room uh, the night that um, Kitch and Mornay de Plessis at that stage and Gaisi Pinar, they were um, the selectors for the squad for the World Cup. So they called me in. And at that stage, I've been battling with a kidney tendon injury for probably the best part of... Um, four or five months and I had to get injections just to finish games and play games and things like that. And Unkitsch just said to me, Ian, you know I love you, you know that I think you're the best number seven, but I cannot take the risk of taking an injured player into this World Cup. I don't know what to expect and I can't take the risk. And and this is just to explain who Kitch Christie is. After the World Cup, probably a year before he passed away, I got a phone call from his wife. And she said, coach wants to see you. And I think by that time, he probably knew that his end was coming. And so I went there. <clears throat> My wife went with and. Um, so we sat by, by his bed and he says, Ian, I don't have much time left, but I want to fix this before I go. And he said, I made a mistake. I should have taken you. So, you know, up to that day, I always uh, felt hard done by and I had this thing inside me. But um, that day, it all went away. I, I know today that I was good enough and, and I was told by the guy that that decided not to, to select me that he made a mistake and that that is Kitch Christie and uh, yeah I don't I haven't told people this story before but that is what happened. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Ian. Uh, so let me ask you then, throughout your career, who was the toughest opponent that you came up against? You know, I think we, we played a lot of the rugby in the domestic uh, era where we played amongst each other here in South Africa. And I must say, Val Bartman was, <laughs> was a, when you played him, you better, you better bring your A game, otherwise you're going to come second. So he was, and when we played him, um, Kitch Christie always said to me, you just keep ball busy. We'll win the game. That's your job. Keep him busy. And uh, every game I played against him, that was my job, to keep him busy. So he, he was a very hard man. And then on the international front, 
the uh, Willie of Rangoa. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Uh, they called him Willie O. Uh, his job was a pile driver, whatever that means. <laughs> so he was a strong man and a hard man. Uh, and then I think Michael Jones also made a big impression on me. He was a never-ending 100% player. Yeah, some top names that you've mentioned there. I, I stand to be corrected, but I think Willie O was part of uh, the Wallabies team that won the 91 World Cup. Uh, but he, I, I, do recall, I do recall he played against us in the 95 uh, opening match. Uh, so, Ian, um, I always like to finish with something a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit funny. And so on that note, I'm going to ask you if you could share a funny or memorable moment with us from your time with the Springboks. You're kicking up and under here. There was a stage where we went through a bad patch at, uh, at the Lions and we got a lot of different coaches, Alpis the Toy and Derek Mini. And then they brought a guy by the name of Alex Wiley, who was an all-black coach, to come and coach us. And uh, he was supposed to have this magic one. So, um, but we struggled, with, even with him there. And we had a scrum session one afternoon, and uh, we were up against the scrum machine, and we were going for like half an hour, 40 minutes, and uh, Kubis Visa was in a pack of forwards. And eventually, while we were packed down, Kubis let a fart go that was <laughs> one of his specials. And Alex Wiley walked around the back and he walked into this thing. And he just stopped dead in his track and said, Who was it? Who was it? And we all broke up and we were scared of this guy because he had a reputation. And uh, Gorbis said, uh, it was me, sir. And he looked at him and he said, can I bring you some paper? <laughs> so that was one of the things I can think of quickly now. Yeah, there was, I love rugby. Still to this day, I love the game. I, I, I love the people that play the game. Um, it's a certain type of person like yourself that's interested in this game. The, the people in the rugby world are good people. They're strong men. They they are the people that South Africa need to have a future. And uh, I think there's very few battlegrounds left for young people in South Africa where they can become warriors and train. And I think rugby and sports probably in general is one of the few battlegrounds left that we can grow men and uh, I love I love what rugby did for me. I love what it did for my sons. Uh, it's a great game, and it's a game for men. Absolutely, it's a great game. We love this sport, Ian. Just before I let you go, I have to share this with you. Uh, I've, in terms of the guests that we've had on Front Row Rugby today, I think you are now the third person to mention Kurbis Visser's name when it comes to something funny or memorable. So clearly, he was one of the practical jokers in the squads. I, I can't tell you how many times we laughed together. And, uh, yeah, he's one of the guys you love to be around because you know he's up for a laugh. There's, there's something going to happen. I remember me and him walking through um, Sydney's shopping centres and, and him joking with the Chinese people. They're running up to them and then they fall down and things like that. It, uh, it was just 
you know, we had some good times, and he would, uh, there's good people in rugby. Um, Quibus was one of the characters, and yeah, it feels like yesterday. It doesn't feel like it's years ago, and um, I still got a soft spot for people like Quibus, Gavin Johnson, those people. Great people. Ian, that brings an end to our conversation today on Front Row Rugby. I want to just say thank you so much for being here. It was lovely having you on. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Last time on Front Row Rugby, Corne Kricher was our guest. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on the screen right now. Next time, Vili Hills will join us. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.